Welcome to the Resound Worship Songwriting Podcast, episode 42. I'm Joel Payne. I'm Sam Hargreaves. And this is a podcast to equip and inspire grassroots songwriters serving their local church. In this episode, we will be attempting to define a congregational song and dissecting the classic How Deep the Father's Love, as well as responding to your comments and queries. Hello, Sam. Hello, Joel. Thanks for having me back. I got a bit worried after you had Chris and he was so good in the last podcast. I thought, Joel's not going to want me back anymore. Oh, you see... Chris. Now, uh, yeah, now I don't feel so bad about thinking that. No, I didn't think that. <laughs> um, did you listen? Did you listen to it? I did. It was very good. Oh, yeah, cool. it was really cool. Yeah, Chris was a natural, I thought. Um, and uh, it was all just designed to make you jealous that you weren't in Grand Rapids with us. Uh, yes. Well, that worked. <laughs> I was very jealous. That, that sounded awesome. It was fun. I enjoyed that. It's, it's, it's really helpful to be able to debrief something. And I suppose it's a it's a nice double whammy if your debrief actually serves as a potentially useful content for other people to listen to. <laughs> it could be very boring, couldn't it? Um, so while I've been um, off sunning myself in snowy Grand Rapids and other such things, uh, what have you been up to, Sam? Uh, well, I just came back from Brussels. Uh, so we went to a church called St. Paul's Tavern. I think I'm saying that wrong, just outside Brussels. Uh, and it's an English-speaking uh, Anglican church huh. um, serving mostly kind of expat Brits although they've got people from other places as well Yeah, and we did some worship training on the Saturday and then we led the service uh, on the Sunday morning and Sarah preached so yeah it was really good fun how cool Brussels I'm I'm off to do a day in Great Yarmouth this weekend what that's pretty much the same. I mean, to be to be completely honest, it was exactly like people say when they go for work trips and they say, "I didn't actually see much of the place." Right. I mean, we went out, we went out for a, a Belgian beer in the evening oh, on Saturday yeah. in a nice sort of taverna sort of thing. They probably don't turn it taverna. <laughs> <laughs> Any language they speak in Brussels, uh, Belgium, <laughs> but like um, Latin or something is it? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, it was a sort of pub thing, but it was it was it felt Belgian to me. Yeah. But other than that, you know, it was it was pretty much we saw the inside of a church and met some English people, so yeah. but it was good. Cool. And uh we've also uh we put out this Lent resource at the beginning of the year mm-hmm. uh called Worship in the Wilderness. And so we've been getting feedback from that and we did uh we went to London School of Theology and did the the uh Tuesday chapel yep. and used all of that material. So it was really encouraging to see that uh, kind of work in front of people and we you know the feedback's been really positive so we're thinking about whether we might do something similar for you know other times of the year maybe advent or something is that all entirely intended to promote your song <laughs> worship in the wilderness yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh no it was, it was a happy coincidence that i had a song which is exactly on that theme but i could do that i could invent entire resources what around you, what could the next one be uh, uh christ, christ was, was raised, raised. yeah doing whole easter season on yeah christ was yeah that's a good idea i like that yeah um maybe take some of my more obscure songs as well yeah uh, that's a good idea the <laughs> god's great masterpiece one and uh, yeah yeah you know, write, write a whole season on that how about you joel me well as you know um since i last saw you i've been gallivanting away um did you uh did you listen to the wendell kimbra interview yeah that was very good he's good isn't he yeah, he's great. I've got a lot of time for Wendell, and um, yeah, I loved I loved the way he talked about the Psalms and this idea of how he how he re-expresses them. Really helpful. Mm. 
Um, what have I been doing? Um, I've been kind of getting us getting us going with a new project for the Resound Writers. Yeah. Um, and which we are going to. So our focus for the next however many months is we're working on a series called Eco Songs, which, um, as you know, Sam, uh, is is what it sounds like songs with a low carbon footprint <laughs> um, no songs obviously worship songs that cover those come some of those themes of creation um care for creation human responsibility and uh, and that kind of stuff um and so we did a first for us we had a an online theological seminar um uh when was that last week and so yeah. we, we got together, um, Sam was there, we got together about seven of us, I think, which is just about what Skype could handle, went pretty well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we had done some reading of academic papers and stuff, and then we just talked about the whole the whole theme, because we sort of recognised that we all kind of know, we've got some vague ideas about it, but it's one of those themes which is, is sort of quite easily driven by just sort of general popular thinking around recycling and etc um mm. and maybe we're not particularly clued up on what is a, a good theological biblical um approach to it and understanding so we decided well let's let's check this out and then let's just talk about it and try and refine our understanding and try and stimulate some some ideas and stuff so i thought that was pretty that went pretty well didn't it sam mm. i felt like there was a variety of a, um not that anyone was ma- majorly against the idea i guess that could happen um, but it was more people, some people saying, well, I've never actually really thought about this. Mm. And other people saying, well, I've thought about it a lot and I've tried to write songs and they still, you know, it's still really, really hard to do. Mm. So I think we all came away with a with a commitment to, to just try to write those difficult songs um, and to make them as, as approachable as possible. Mm. Yeah, so that's cool. Um, and I've also been working on a thing that we're going to launch um, relatively soon which is a thing called uh, resound worship partner churches so we're starting Ooh. to build a little scheme where um where we just kind of try and get in partnership with churches because i think as a organization we want to be we want to operate with the mandate of the churches with the support of the churches and mm. for the churches and so that means kind of support in in various different ways which obviously we you know we part of what we do we look for financial support um but also one thing we're going to start introducing more is consultations with the churches so actually yeah having these partners who then become become consultation partners you've done this sort of thing before as well i think haven't you sam where we then have people we can approach and say look we're thinking of doing a series on this or songs about that how tell us about your church tell us about how this works or what you've done or what your needs are and so on yeah it's really helpful Let's look at some correspondence. Um, last time I was talking with Chris about, um, I think it was a spin-off from Lester Ruth and um, the stuff about contemporary Christian music and and so on. This particular idea of a kind of a a, a um, an encounter with God's presence in that kind of throne room language, how that's come about and and so on and. Um, and what we think the goal of worship is. And we heard from Greg on Facebook afterwards, um, who was just asking one or two questions about that. And he said, rather than it being about kind of the goal of encountering God's presence, he said, my approach is to ask questions about communication. Did we communicate some valuable truth about Christ? 
did we distract from that or misrepresent him? That falls much more naturally within the call to mission and discipleship, treating revelation as the thing which we need and the thing which confronts and transforms us. And communication as an action has community as its locality with communion as its destination. That's pretty clever. I'm going to say that again. <laughs> communication has community as its locality with communion as its destination. And that fits with God's original work in creation, subsequent work in reconciliation and redemption. That's quite dense, isn't it? I think what Greg is saying <laughs> is um, that where where the idea of encountering God's presence might be the controlling factor, I think here it's more about encountering God's revelation mm. and therefore the revelation being something which is communicated and therefore necessarily what we do has to be measured by what we communicate. Yeah, I I get that. And I think it could be a helpful corrective if people are going too far down the line of you know did we sort of almost manipulate god's presence or you mm. know if, if that was a concern i think th that it would be fairly easy to fall too far into greg's position as well and just to talk about communicating revelation there's um as, a, as an often quoted thing about revelation and response in yeah. worship that in the bible you see people have a revelation of god and then respond and my feeling is that most often churches fall into one trap or the other mm -hmm. so they just come and say come on let's respond god is so good let's meet with him and actually haven't done the revelation part or they're so concerned about getting their revelation right that they forget to respond so i would feel that it's kind of good to hold the two in in balance but there you go. We are the lukewarm middle ground of the Resound Worship Songwriting Podcast. <laughs> no, we are the exciting tension in the middle. <laughs> that's it. Sorry, that's far more exciting. <laughs> and Sam does mean that, actually, for, for what it's worth. I mock him, but he lives in exciting tension the whole time. <laughs> so I might fall off my chair at any moment. <laughs> Let's dissect a classic. Dissect a classic. Our classic this time is Stuart Townend's How Deep the Father's Love for Us from around sort of 93 or 95, that sort of time. Um, we actually interviewed Sam. No. <laughs> we did interview Sam, but we also interviewed Stuart um, very early on. I think it's sort of episode five or six on the podcasts. And I went back and had a listen to it uh, because I remembered he talked about this song. So I thought I'd just go back and, and have a look and see what he had to say. So I do recommend digging back through the archives and listening to that. It's a really good interview, actually. Um, uh, and he said various things. One, one is that um, this is the song that has most prompted people to say to him, I thought you were dead. I <laughs> <laughs> thought it was written a long time ago. But he described um, where it came from. Um, he said, essentially, it was a melody that just popped into his head. And he thought, oh, I like that. And he thought, I must have stolen it from somewhere. So he played it to various people to see if anyone recognised it. No one did. He thought, oh, that's pretty cool. And then he said, and this is something which, let's be honest, um, is very annoying about Stuart. Mm. He said, the words came fairly easily. Um, which is, he said the same thing about in Christ alone. He said alone. it's a muttly there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so yeah so he basically had this melody kind of came to him and then the words kind of came to him so there you go job done um <laughs> but uh and he but he, he did say this definitely where his kind of metrical hymn writer journey began it kind of it came as a bit of a bolt out of the blue because he was writing other styles and other kinds of songs and he did say he was very much in a songwriting place so it's not like he, he wasn't in the in the world of songwriting um and interestingly, he said uh, he said he played it to Dave Fellingham. He said, "Yeah, it's all right." 
which seems to be generally <laughs> what happens with great songs. Um, but he also said that this song basically was how his partnership with Keith Getty came about. So he said mm. he, he heard from Keith Getty, he got in touch with him. And I sort of can only imagine this this communication, <laughs> what the tone was like. But basically, Keith hated all modern worship songs, <laughs> but got in touch I with Stuart and said, and said, but but I like yours. I like that one, actually. All right, anyway, anyway, <laughs> great, thanks. Um, uh, anyway, I've written some tunes. Would you fancy? Uh, and he said, yeah, yeah, sure, send me them. So he sent this little, I think he sent a CD or something with some with a few tunes on it and the first one he listened to was what became in Christ Alone. Um and there it began and this, you know, incredibly mm. productive Lennon McCartney of the worship world uh, was born. Um and interestingly as well Isaac Wardell on one of our interviews he picked um How Deep the Father's Love as the song he'd love to have written. Yeah. So Sam, give us a bit of um give us some prose. Tell us what what makes this a classic. I do love this song and I find myself um, having to restrict how often I sing it during communion because it's mm. my sort of go-to where everyone's receiving communion and I just think, oh, how deep the Father's love. That would be brilliant. Yeah. Uh, and then I realise that I've done it, you know, every every previous time. Um, but I love it and I think it's such a strong... Um, one of the things that strikes me is how many biblical allusions there are, little snippets or paraphrases of... Of, of biblical language so you think about even the first line you know how great the lovers the father has lavished on us that he yeah. made us you know sons through Christ um, I guess the wretch his treasure that's coming from uh, Amazing Grace um, Wounds his mother chosen one bring many sons to glory that's, again that's a, that's a biblical quote and so you get all these biblical quotes and they're they're so weaved into the song uh, that it just feels it feels very rooted, I think, in scripture. Yeah. Um, and that's that's kind of an encouragement. But then also, in terms of this this idea of sort of revelation we've been talking about, it it is very meaty and it's very scriptural. But particularly, I think, in, in verse 2, it becomes so personal. Mm. You know, he talks about my sin on his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice. It's almost like, I don't know if people were uh, familiar with sort of Ignatian um, Bible meditation mm. where you imagine yourself in the situation and you think, well, what character would I be in this situation? And 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 Stuart kind of goes, well, actually, I would be somebody in the crowd, you know, shouting abuse at Jesus. What, what an amazing idea to sort of put us into that place. And then it was my sin that held him. It just makes it so personal and so kind of grab your heart. Yeah. His dying breath has brought me life. Um, and then, you know, it, that continues into the second verse. Uh, and and the, th the third thing I would say just about the lyrics is um, I know that um, some people struggle with uh, the sort of the, the picture of penal substitution uh, that, mm. that some people are very hot on in terms of thinking about what the cross does. And it's the kind of critique that you can almost get the impression that the father enjoys the pain of the son on the cross that the kind of the father you know sort of vindictively sends the son to the cross in order yeah. to kind of fulfill his sense of, of duty or wrath or whatever and i think this song um gives us a very you know it, it's clear that there is something very deep going on here but the 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 relationships of the trinity are really kind of 
explored, I think. So talk about, you know, how deep the father's love, how great the pain of searing loss, the father turns his face away. So it's this it's this sense of the father kind of knowing what he has to do for the son in order to save creation. But but it's it's great pain. There's no joy taken. There's a there's a kind of there's a huge uh, sacrifice for the father as well as for the son and i think that's a really strong lyric mm, nice uh i think uh i mean obviously there's the thing about the very repetitive shapes in it so it just mm. it's, it's a key thing because it's quite complicated words the words are, are so rich and dense the actual there's just a da 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 it doesn't it never never varies from that which means it's, the moment you've got it and also obviously you repeat the tune several times and it's that classic a a b a thing where even in this case b is quite similar to a's um so i think that repetitive nature but also there's this very natural shape to the melody it's almost as if and, and it's interesting that he didn't do it this way but it's almost as if he just spoke the words how deep the father's mm. love for us how vast beyond all measure and the naturalness of it is also the fact that it doesn't have it's got this odd timing in it hasn't it so it does these yeah. these bars yeah. of um i can't remember what it is now is it three and four three and two something like that um where there's a thing as a song right as a musician where you you can just you can either force something into a into a meter into a rhythm and often it's mm. into a four four or three four in this case he's just let the melody be the melody yeah. taken a breath and then let the melody be the melody again and in doing that done something where nobody sings this thinking oh gosh where's that where's that going yeah it's, exactly it's actually completely opposite now i don't know whether that therefore is the sort of the exception that proves the rule or is, is something worth trying i think probably just it when you're in a very rhythm when you're in a kind of i play my four on the floor with my g major and then my c and you, you kind of get locked in rather than beginning with a melody yes I, so I think that's that's key. The melody just holds its own. It sings itself. Yeah. Um, I, think I think that's, that's really right. strong. Um, I was just looking at the sheet music that I've got in front of me, and it's this is written it six four four four. Uh, so, so it goes yeah. how deep the far. There's two extra beats here. Love for us, and it's yeah. it's so clear that that us is beat one of the next bar that you don't. It doesn't feel weird the fact that you've had a. You could either call it a six four bar, or you could say it was four four, and then two four for a bar, yeah. and then back to four four. But that. You, as you say, you, nobody's ever. I don't think gone. Oh, that was weird because the melody is so natural. Yeah. Um, in in sort of describing that for us, you're not relying on the instrumentation or the drums or whatever to to give you that beat. Yeah. Um. The also it has a really loose rhyme scheme, which I think is quite helpful. Mm. So for quite a dense song. How deep the father's love for us have asked beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. Lines two and four rhyme, but really they're the only ones in any particularly concrete way. Because mm. then you get how great the pain of searing lasts, the father turns his face away, as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. So glory away is a sort of half rhyme, but mm. also they're offset rhythmically, so in a different place in the line. Father turns his face away, bringing sons to glory. Mm. That didn't illustrate it very well, but you, you see what I mean. Same <laughs> yeah. verse two. Shoulders... Well, that rhymes with scoffers. It's very loose. Um, I, I'm not sure whether cross and voice is supposed to be a bit of a half rhyme, but then held him there, accomplished, brought me life, finished. So you've got accomplished and finished. Mm. Anything, wisdom, Christ, resurrection, reward, answer, heart, ransom. I mean, it's like it's out the window. But there yeah, are, yeah, there's yeah, a yeah. vague kind of 
it's a very kind of sounding rhyme in there. Mm. Well, what that does is if you can get away with that, it just frees you up to write good lyrics because you're not you're not hemmed in by having to acutely rhyme one word with another one. So I think that's the strength of this song, um, yeah. the, the way it does that. And then what I was going to talk about was verse two as well, Sam, so you, you've stolen, oh, you've stolen I'm my sorry. thunder. Well, but I, I, I think it shows a bit of the... There's a flow to this song. It just feels very natural. We sing about Jesus. We sing. We sing about the Father's love. We sing about Jesus, and then we just put ourselves in the scene. And then our. And then the last verse is a kind of response of. So yeah. now I realise this isn't about me. It's all about him. And maybe there's something about. Maybe there's something about the speed with which she wrote it. Just letting it kind of fall out. Um, that means it has quite a natural flow as you go through it. There's a movement through the song. Well done, Stuart pretty good well so done. Stuart, Stuart uh, let's go back now he brings this to our songwriting group and he plays it to you Sam do you suggest any improvements <laughs> yeah there's only one big one and I'm sure you can guess <laughs> uh, Hebrews you know uh, 2.10 talks about in bringing many sons to glory it was fitting that blah, 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 should suffer blah 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 uh, and if you look at you know some of the the more recent bibles it'll say things like sons and daughters i guess we could get into a huge debate and people get very passionate about this um my feeling is that modern language has changed uh and i can see that there are appropriate times to use the the language of sonship yeah but actually for a lot of people uh coming into church they will just simply not be used to using the language of son to equate with child and yep. so 50 percent or more of your congregation can immediately go what you know why sons why not sons and daughters why not children now obviously you then fall into the issue that it doesn't scan as well yeah yeah um and is there is there a, a way in so few syllables that you can say that bring many children to glory you know it's not going to work so easily so it's a it's a tricky one and some people will come back at me with with very you know strong arguments uh, as to why not. But I feel I just feel pastorally, uh, it's it's much better to avoid that kind of um, that kind of language if you can, uh, especially when it applies to us. Because somebody else might say, well, hang on a minute, the whole song starts how deep the Father's love for us. Why are yeah. we using you know patriarchal language for the Trinity? Uh, I think that's a, I guess a whole different conversation. Yeah, um, I think it's much is a good starting place is to say at least when we're talking about us let's be inclusive and avoid sons when we could say something else hmm. yeah i i would think with that line i would say i would identify the problem that you have done and i would say is it the you know is, is this the what's the what do they call it the hill to die on is yeah, this, yeah you know is this yeah. how important is this line to the song well does it really if you had a different line there is this song going to be any weaker? And I would say no. I don't think it is. I don't think that's the crucial, the crucial. Line. Although, of course, it makes a, there's a really good point in there. But I think you're absolutely right in that in that context. There's nothing about being sons and heirs and all other cultural stuff. I think it's just a, it's an expression. Um, yeah. Was that it? I had loads. Yeah, I'm I had sure so you can many. Think of other- other no, I didn't. Really. <laughs> I mean, one of the things is, I suppose, would be, you know, the people say that the I thought you were dead thing It's because it is written in a sort of there's an archaic form and there's archaic language. And I think what 
Stuart has actually done since this one is he's found his voice within the hymn form. I think in this one he actually writes in quite old-fashioned language as well. Mm. So to make a wretch his treasure, the pain of searing loss, wounds which mar. There's quite a lot in there in terms of yeah. It's it's language that sounds like it's from a hymn. And I, I think I do see this as part of a songwriting journey. Um, but those are the bits I think I would come back to and, and, and say, do you are you trying to write an old hymn or are you trying mm. to write a, a song from mm. today? It's difficult, isn't it? Because mm. it's so fantastic. And the thing is, we mm. actually love it as if it were an old hymn. That's the, the, the funny thing about this one. To me, this goes with Amazing Grace. It's, you it know, does. It's a, and w- when I survey the Wondrous Cross, yeah. it's got that kind of watsy kind of quality and yeah if if you were i don't know putting together a a good friday service of hymns you would you would happily put this in and yeah and you know not bat an eyelid really yeah uh, yeah you're right it doesn't it doesn't feel like it was written today it feels it feels like it has a kind of old soul quality about it yeah and the other thing i would have asked questions about is some of the bits of theology in it Mm-hmm. that are sort of in some ways are hinted at or sometimes so for example um how great the pain of searing loss there's a sort of so you pick that out as a quality mm. and this but it would be something i would want to push at and test and say look you, this whole thing of does does this cause pain to the was it a loss for the father or does it cause pain did the father turn his face away where does that come you know and and i know there is it's it's like two steps removed from the from the biblical text. It's a sort of my God, why have you abandoned me and 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 so on. But those kind of things. It was my sin that held him there. Well, was it my sin that held him, or was it actually his love that held him yeah. there? And, and so yeah. so there are subtleties that are poetic. But I would want to I would want to test those and say, you know. And I tend to say, and I did this with our writers. I tend to say, you know, have the courage of your theological convictions. If this is your, you know, because I'm aware that we, you know, we have different standpoints of various bits and bobs, and there'll be some stuff that we we don't want to, you know, we really want to be together on, but other bits where, just okay, where where is your standpoint, and are you consistent, are you clear, and is this actually what you're trying to say, and and in a sense, can you back it up somehow? I was reading the other day. Uh, Tom Wright uh, has written one of his little uh, for everyone commentaries. Um, the whole point of the cross is that there the weight of the world's evil really did converge on Jesus, blotting out the sunlight of God's love as surely as the light of day was blotted out for three hours. The sins of the many which he is bearing has for the first and only time in his experience caused the cloud to come between him and the father he loved. So Wright's pretty clear there that he thinks that there there's a sort of separation uh, between the father and the son. And, 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 and I think it you're right that some of these things are more kind of post-biblical doctrine and discussion mm. around the text um and i guess we you know like you say we have to do that knowingly knowing that okay this is a point of view on what the cross was about yeah um but it's a pretty strong it's a pretty strong go at that i think with this song on this episode we are going to attempt to define uh a congregational song and this comes out of a discussion uh, that happened in the liturgy fellowship group on facebook 
where somebody just asked the question, hey guys, how would you define a congregational song? And as you can imagine, lots and lots of worship leaders and songwriters and more decided to pitch in. And I thought, well, what a fascinating question. What a simple question that probably or possibly has a complicated answer, but is very important. (laughs) Yeah, it's very important for what we do. So what is a congregational song? So we thought, well, we'll ask our listeners and friends on social media and let's see what some people come up with. And we thought we'd have a little look at those and then um, we'll sort of comment as we go and then Sam and I will also try and wrap it up into something nuggety and perfect and unchallengeable. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. So let's start. Um, Stuart, um, I've got a few here actually, just these kind of go together. Stuart says, here's my attempt at a definition. A song that in both content and style allows the gathered people of God to together praise the Lord and build one another up. James says, I would add to that, on the practical note, a song that could be sung by a congregation, i.e. doesn't need a soloist to do a large amount of it. And Sarah said, I would also add for that, it's a song that can be sung by anyone, no spe- i.e. no specific parts for alto, sopranos, etc. Men, women parts are generally considered okay, but they can be a pain with small congregations. So, sorry, it's quite a lot there, Sam, but I, as yeah. a starting point. Well, I think this is this is the challenge with this one because actually for every rule, then then you, you start to think of an exception. You throw in a caveat, you throw in, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Sarah's point, you know, not specific parts. I get what she's saying entirely. uh, But um, Geraldine and Kerry uh, wrote a great song that's on the Resound site called Spirit of God. Yeah. And it's a kind of cumulative round. It has three parts. Mm -hmm. And uh, they've written quite a few songs like that. And I've I've done a few as well, Jesus Leads Us to the Father and stuff, where you have these different parts that are quite simple and very singable. And when they come together you get you know lovely harmonies and it's a simple way of kind of singing uh more than one line at once yeah and i think i might have shared this in a previous podcast but we you know we went to a, a an evening put on by the david's tent people and it was a load of trendy looking young people absolutely sold out passionate for god mm-hmm. and you know you know really kind of uh, emotionally driven worship and then after a few songs Geraldine said right I'm going to teach you this spirit of God I think in a I've asked her about it she said in her, in her head after she was thinking well this is you know <laughs> this isn't going to last long you know we'll do this and then we'll move on and she taught the one line and then a bunch of people singing that with all their heart and then the next line they're singing it with all their heart and then the next line and, and then they all come together and the room was absolutely electric because of these three different parts yeah. coming together with and it didn't um it didn't take away in fact it enhanced so i guess um yeah we ought not to be too um too prescriptive i i would agree with sarah in saying i think this is quite different to a choral piece that is sung by a choir yeah uh, and that's a distinction that i would make and i think um that that's a fairly easy distinction to make uh, that a congregational song is really designed for the whole congregation to sing without much preparation or yeah. practice she makes a good point uh, they can be a pain with small congregations and so that uh, immediately we're into with all of these it's so contextual it's it's difficult to come up with a firm specific or practical rule yes. that is not contextual so yes absolutely if there's 15 of you in your congregation and you've got four strong singers and three different parts and you know and so on yeah that could yeah. be very hard work and actually it's much more helpful then probably congregationally to all sing the same tune yeah if you've got x hundred you know whatever it, it might be um the point about it needs to be one that can be sung by a congregation i.e. doesn't need a soloist 
Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty. That that seems to be pretty self-evident, intuitive, doesn't it? I suppose my pushback at that would be if you. It it could be that a soloist doing a part of it encourages and helps the congregation to engage with it. So I remember. I don't know if you remember. Um, Wendell talking about how they do the Psalms in the interview, yeah, and and there's you know he writes a short section and that becomes a response and that for, therefore is congregational, and it turns something that otherwise might not be congregational into something congregational. But the fact that somebody then reads out a section of the Psalm, yeah, actually then gives you something to engage with, um, intellectually, emotionally, while you then sing the gathered response. Mm. There are a few examples of that, aren't there? You know, maybe in more traditional music, you have the kind of cantor who might sing a more complex part and then everyone responds with the same refrain. Uh, Or I'm thinking in gospel music, how you might have a fairly simple part that the congregation is singing and then you'll have a kind of the leader. They'll be more improving and maybe doing the verses or filling the gaps. Yeah. I I mean, the gospel is a great example, actually. That's as a genre which has more lead more lead vocalist mm. heavy is that the right yeah. expression yeah i'm, I'm yeah, being yeah. No, i've been wary here of trying to talk about something i don't know a lot about yeah but i think i think that that is true that often you know a lead vocalist will 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 take a lead but then there'll be something very accessible that the whole congregation can grab onto i think that, and the, the question really here is is here around is around participation isn't it is there a, yeah. a part of the song that the congregation can very easily participate in. And I think we ought to say as well that uh, not every song has to be a congregational song and not every song sung yeah. in church has to be a yeah, congregational absolutely. song. So there's nothing wrong with, uh, I know in the States they often talk about an offertory song yep. and the offertory song will will often be a, a sort of more performance number. Yep. Um, and that's fine. But I guess what I would want to say is if you're if you're intending a whole congregation to sing it, Mm-hmm. then it needs to be congregational and that's when you need to start applying some sort of checks and balances yeah yeah that's good um dave um gave us quite a long answer but he said abs- this is sort of the beginning of it really absolute top priority is the aspect illustration shared by these two excellent exa- excellent examples happy birthday is thoroughly congregational when you walk through the storm is thoroughly congregational uh, leave aside the secular words of these examples the vital aspect is that the tune whatever the words can be sung completely and totally unaccompanied mm. Hmm. I think that's I think that's a fair comment. Um, I th- and I think that the issue of songs needing huge amounts. I mean, I I get frustrated with churches when my own included when they'll say to me, "Oh gosh, we've got you know very few musicians or no musicians or no drummer," or and we act as if we can't worship this week. Yep. Because we haven't got all these things that that prop it up. And actually, there are songs that exist and songs that we could be writing that that do. You know, I think how how deep the Father's love is is a great example of this. That actually, if you had no musicians, you could start that song up and it, it could be sung yeah. meaningfully, just as it stood. Yeah, but you wouldn't. You'd never learn it from scratch like that, would you? The, so clearly, the harmony is important because, and the thing about songs like um, "Happy Birthday," anything which you can sing a cappella unaccompanied, is that you have it has to have an implied harmony or one that you're mm, kind of yeah, yeah. you're kind of hearing in your minds. I guess my pushback at that is that it assumes that the congregation is made up only of singers, and 
is a song made of more than just voices is is the accompaniment of a so-, so i could have 40 people in my congregation 25 of whom are singing and 15 of whom are playing instruments and collectively we're all creating and expressing something but what we're saying is well you people who are playing the instruments you're less important in this no i don't think that's what he's saying i think he's saying that if a song is entirely reliant on its accompaniment then that's it's probably overall going to be a weaker song but don't you think that one i'm thinking about this this whole sort of idea of symphony and harmony that one thing that a melody does sometimes is it creates a new harmony within a harmony so sometimes you can sing the same note four times but because you change the i mean that's really common in in pop songs and things because you change the harmony underneath it that note is actually a different sound every time and with the harmony it can actually be rich and beautiful and by putting the two things together you're creating this seventh or this different part Mm, you're drawing mm, out a different part of the mm, chord so i think mm. that's that would be just where i'd say well sometimes i don't think that's exclusively true because i think sometimes there are songs which incredibly congregational in that if we all sing this note it will be beautiful but it Mm. really does depend on the harmony being there to create what that note becomes i don't quite have the language to articulate it no no i think you're right i think so take the example of great is the darkness the Mm. old noel richards gerald Coates song nobody would argue that great is the darkness that covers is a great melody yeah and it probably wouldn't work unaccompanied but Similarly, I don't think that anyone would argue that that is not a congregational song. Yeah. Because it's as the harmony changes under those notes that the beauty comes. Yeah. It's very it's a very accessible song. It's a very singable song. And so, yeah, I think you're right. I, th- I, I guess I agree with Dave in that I do think it's generally a good test, particularly when you're writing a song, yeah. to think, would this stand up without the accompaniment? Yeah. Uh, but you're probably right that we could be a bit draconian. <laughs> yeah, but I I also basically agree with Dave. I'm just being. I, I think I'm trying to say I I think like with any of these rules, you realise there are not only exceptions, but I think there are limits to them. Sometimes you say if you apply that too too strongly, you'll miss out on on some stuff possibly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I had we had Richard um, who gave us a little list which I've distilled down to bullets, which he said number one obvious structure, two pitch singable, three we based, four gender neutral where possible, five not okay. Calvinist imagery, six <laughs> so, unless preordained, six words make sense, and seven can be sung by average congregation size. This is pretty handy. This is a useful little list, isn't it? Yeah, um, I, I think I would uh, adapt number five, not Calvinist imagery, <laughs> to, to be, um, I think we've talked about before, about being aware of contentious theology. Yeah. And so, I don't know, take an example um, like people's views on the end times. Yeah. Um, you know, if if you put something about... Um, After the 1,000 years, yeah, the Lord exactly. will return, and then for another 1,000 years, we exactly. will reign before the seven years happens. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you, yeah, if you spell it out and list it yeah, 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 yeah. in your and particular so, order. In, in, yeah, and you just have to be aware that actually the reality is, you know, that is then be- going to become contentious, and only a certain amount of people will be able to assent to that. Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean you can't write a song like that. Um if you want to but it, it won't it will uh, it be unlikely to be widely sung yeah but do it and, knowingly and yeah and and intentionally and i think i i assume that what richard is saying here is really um 
people I, mean, I assume he's not that keen on some Calvinist imagery okay but but also I think he's saying that we kind of there's a there's a Calvinist whether it's right or not there's a kind of Calvinist theology or imagery which is quite common in perhaps more contemporary charismatic songs or something like that which uh, we just sing without really we accept that as the form mm. of, of theology because it's just but, but partly because we all just write songs based on other songs that we've heard yeah perhaps yeah um, yeah. The thing about the obvious structure, I, I mean, again, I think there's two sides to this because um, th- there's a thing about wanting a song that you can pick up quickly and easily, um, and that's fine. Um, but there's not all songs have to be that. You know, if you sang the same song every week for ten weeks, then you can be quite complicated, and you'd all learn it, and then it would be congregational. So the the point at which you kind of you know it and you, you're no longer learning it. it could happen halfway through the first verse or it could happen three weeks in and I know there are then questions about okay say somebody else comes in from the outside but then somebody else coming in from the outside is always to some extent going to have a period of learning and, and, and not understanding or not knowing what, what things are so you're always setting a you're setting a bar somewhere you, you're, you know in terms of what you're saying is acceptable because obviously the far extreme of that is we'll only ever sing songs that, that everyone in the country knows mm. which limits it to three or four hymns uh, and probably probably nobody thinks that so I mean, his 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 point is about songs that have lots of little extra bits little tags and bridges and pre-choruses yeah. that, but and again I, I, they, they're I only think, con- they're only not congregational if the congregation doesn't can't follow them yeah and we have to be realistic that different churches have different aims when they come together to sing and we talked about this earlier with greg's point about oh it's all about communicating the truth okay but for other people it's about having um a spontaneous connection with god that you can be led in the moment and the the benefit of a song with multiple sections is that spontaneously you can jump to a section that you yep. feel is right for the moment yeah um and so you've got a degree of kind of prepared spontaneity within the song because it's got these this variety yeah so i think so- sometimes we have to be aware that okay well that song's not for my church because my church is not trying to do that yeah. but it doesn't mean the song's not useful in another context yeah that's true pitch singable yeah i mean it's yeah i i think this is this would be one of my big bugbears one of my hobby horses a hairy hobby horse or a big bugbear um, the pitch has to be singable um, in order for it to be congregationally sung. So, you know, we've already talked about you, you could have a part of the, you could have a part of a song which is not congregationally sung and it still be a congregational song. I think we can think of ways that might work, but essentially for it to be congregationally sung. And, and I think this is pastoral as much as it is worshipful um, in the sense that I think it's important for if what you say is you're bringing a sort of united congregational offering of worship to God, then then you've got to be able to use everyone's voices and so on and allow everyone to do the best they can. But it's also pastoral in that there's something excluding about yeah. certain kind of songs. Do you remember our interview we did really early on in the podcast with Ruth King Goddard in mm. um, Seattle? And she brought the vocal range to right in because what she did was talk about effectively the difference between your personal voice and your performance voice mm. and the fact that our personal voices within a certain range where we're not basically giving it some well we're not doing the diva Mm. are quite similar in range but when we do the diva well some people can go off into the stratosphere or down to the you know whatever it might be um 
And therefore, if you want, this is the challenge. If you want to be sure everyone in the congregation can sing every note, you're not left with many notes. And mm. then you hold that intention with mm. with the art of the thing, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And whether that, that top note is something that you, you push up to and bounce off because yep. it's a high point of the song, or whether it's something that you're sustaining for a long, 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 long time. Uh, yeah, it, it amazes me how still despite the fact that I think people have been talking about this for a long time a new song will come out and I will look at it and immediately go well that needs to go down a third or a fourth yeah. Yeah. you know because it's just too high still um, and it amazes me not only that that happens but also that that worship leaders on that at that level aren't uh, I feel like they ought to def- and if they record it at a high pitch they at least ought to default to putting the sheet music or the chord charts out at a reasonable pitch, yeah, and then saying, "Oh, here's the here's the stratospheric version." If but you, if you if, if you, you want to sing it higher, go for it. Yeah, but this is yeah, yeah. What what I also uh, so we we you know we talk about this from time to time. We occasionally get a bit bit of pushback from people who say, "Well, I, I get sick of people saying that um, congregations can't manage an octave leap or they can't manage a because my congregation can." So mm. it's all contextual. It's all, and I have to to be really honest. I find myself thinking. No, they can't, and I mm. and I and of course I don't know that. But I feel like I know enough about people, and either yes, they can because the only people who come or remain coming to your congregation are the people who can do this, or it's so accepted that that's the way that you have to do things that nobody ever says to you, "I can't really do that," but I just keep quiet at that point. You know, is there is mm. there a silence? Is there a, are people not talking about it? Well, maybe as well. You know, it comes back to how do people how do people participate? Because maybe. A lot of the, for example, ladies are singing a harmony mm. uh, because it's a very musical church. So a lot of the ladies can just flick into a harmony. Maybe people are choosing not to sing, but they're engaging with God in you know other ways. They're praying, they're closing their eyes, they're you know lifting their hands, they're dancing, and and so there's still a degree of engagement, even if it's not everyone singing out together. I think what is sad is the people who would push back against you on that. I suspect don't go to many small which is the normal size church in britain is a is a smallish church yeah with a mixed age range and you know not all young excitable charismatic worshipers and when you go to that average church you realize very quickly we're gonna have to make this very singable otherwise it's just not gonna fly yeah uh what about we based we versus i my my feeling is that it's good, but when a hundred people sing "I," it sounds quite a lot like "we." Uh, so I kind of think, I think so. There are plenty of the great examples of congregational songs that are. It's not just an exception that are not "we" based. I think there's maybe something there that's more about: is that a response to an imbalance or a weakness? Is that a response to our culture, which is more "I" based, and therefore we feel like we need to reinforce the "we." Whereas if you're in a culture which is more community oriented, maybe you're not well, that worried about it. That, that's, that's not an issue. When I sing I, it's obvious that we're all singing I and that that's a collective expression. Yeah, I think that's fair. Although I, I, I think that the argument that we probably do need to push back both against our culture and against a, quite an individualistic worship culture is a fair one. And that I, I feel like when we're writing a song we ought to start with we (laughs) we ought Mm. to start with something corporate um and then 
almost default with that and then go no actually at this point i think it ought to be more personal uh i i, I feel like i want a, <laughs> I want a good argument for why it's i okay um that would be my 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 i know yeah as you say people disagree but i mean if you yeah if you're writing a song and if you are writing for your congregation then why would you start with i at all i suppose is a question Mm. It, who have you got in mind when you start your song? If your song starts with you, then I suppose you would start with I. And then you start saying, well, is this one for my congregation? And they, they are two different ways around of doing it. Mm. And I think we have to say that they're two that have worked really well for lots of different different people in different contexts. Some people, their songs are very, I just worship God, then I say if anything comes out which is useful for my congregation. Yeah. I would pretend to do it the other way around, but yeah. I'm probably not as worshipful as them. Um, Daniel, he says something very similar to what we'd said you can't answer this question without reference to your own particular congregation, their own culture musical preferences and style and I think that's fair I think what we've said are things like so pitch singable is great because it doesn't really tell you um, anything obvious structure or at least um, structure that can be grasped Mm. again that makes sense but how exactly how you would define it so some some of those things Definitely, definitely it's contextual in how you apply it. Peter says an earworm helps. So a, a hook that, yeah. that really is catchy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is interesting. So this is Paul. Now, Paul is my mate who I play with, who I don't know when the last time Paul would have been to a church is, maybe in his <laughs> wedding or something. But we do gigs, and one of the things he does is house concerts, and he mm. always has a sing-along in the house concerts. And they are really good sing-alongs. Gets everyone singing along. So he says, from his point of view, um, a song that encourages people listening to want to sing along, question mark. Because from his point of view, that's what a congregational song is. Yeah. It's one of the songs he's written that when he sings it, people are humming, tapping. Mm. And then in the specific case of one or two of them, it, that he says, come on, join in. Uh, and yeah. everyone joins in. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, it's the, we talked about before, haven't we, the old grey whistle test of... Yeah. Uh, the people writing in Timpan Alley, and if the if the doorman, the old Greys, were singing it at the end of the day, they knew they had something. And uh, I, I think that's uh, that's a good. If if people are actually coming back and singing it to you, um, then that's a, that's a good thing. And I think actually, this is hitting more more on my my definition there. But I think actually Paul has struck on something there. I found that such a helpful little thing, because mm-hmm. I thought. Is a congregational song one which the congregation can sing, or is it a song which congregates? I don't know if I'm using... I don't know if you can use congregate as a reflexive verb, but does it congregate us? And therefore, actually, a song that's catchy, that encourages people to want to join in, the song does some of the work of bringing a, a disparate group into a gathered voice. Yes. An expression. Then I think yes. maybe that is a congregational song. Can we can yes. we um, can we trademark that or anything? That's really good. Know. But what I think you're doing there is you're you're giving quite a high value to music. Mm. You know, I think there's there's a danger with some of the ways we use music in the church is that they become almost propaganda. You know, does this communicate the the thing that we want it to communicate? Yeah. Uh, in an efficient way, um, which starts to become almost like advertising for Jesus or kind of political propaganda whereas actually what you're saying is this is a song that could could gather people and could demonstrate something of 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 what it means to be in in community yeah uh, and and that's where i would say well let's let's be a bit bold you know let's start to do things that are are um 
out of the box because they might help. So if you, for example, uh, the, the sort of three-part round idea, you know, when I started doing that, I remember people looking at me like, you're an idiot. Why are you doing rounds for? Rounds are awful, <laughs> you know. And actually, even with a small group... I Jesus love that you don't let things like that put you off. <laughs> <laughs> but just my experience was Jesus Lead Us to the Father, you know, can work in a group of 10 and it can work in a group of 200. Uh, um, but it, it facilitates a kind of community response. And people go, oh, I've got a part to play here. Or, I don't know, example might be, uh, it might, again, sound cheesy, but a song with a specific clap part. Yep. And we did yep. this for Songs for Sundays. You know, <laughs> yeah. have, a, have a specific clapping part. You're encouraging participation. Yeah. Um, songs that split people into to male and female overlapping vocals. You know, things like that. You're, you're actually giving quite a high value to the music and saying the music here is going to do something. Yeah. And also... Um he's my savior just while we're quoting our own songs um, <laughs> but there's yeah. th- that's a congregational yes. song because what that actually draw that says the congregation write it as we go that yeah, really brilliant. draws out but it is a song and it but it's a congregational experience and encounter as much as it is a song in, yes if that makes sense yes yeah a song really which good. congregates musically nice. which lyrically which gathers us and so that puts limits on it you know it, anything which does the opposite because sometimes what you do in terms of trying to rule is you you think what's the opposite what's a song which divides us or scatters us or then then that's the question Um, on Twitter Rachel said it's a song a congregation can sing because it's catchy and accessible I think we talked about some of that Michael a song that engages a congregation through an easily singable melody with hardly any rehearsal and then one or two others that are just draw draw out from this other um, thread we looked at which was Jake says it's a song that's singable at least with a little practice stroke guidance by the majority of people in your given cultural context oh nice yeah I like the with a little practice stroke guidance yeah like, I, you can't, otherwise you're putting ridiculous limits yeah, on it yeah um, Ben actually I, I think this one Ben he went on to write loads of stuff but he, he said a congregational song is one the least musically accomplished will sing in their home after Sunday worship and I think I see where Ben is coming from but ultimately I don't if it's congregational, that can't be the final test. Mm. It has to, the, the the final the test has to be that the people will sing in Sunday worship, and it's great that they might sing it in their home afterwards, and that's a sign of it being catchy or memorable or other stuff. Yeah. But there are all sorts of. I could play a song on a CD that we'd all go home and start humming along. Yeah. When we went home. Yeah. Yeah. I would add just two things. One is that. I think in this conversation about congregational, it really doesn't mean one musical style. Yeah. So I feel like, and I think they're big enough and, you know, rich enough to to take this. Um, Getty and Townend, in trying to write very congregational songs, I guess it's Keith's, Keith's melodies. Yeah. He ends up falling into this quite f- similar eight-line slightly celtic hymn-like style yeah that they they do a lot of and they do it really really well and i know they've done other stuff as well but it feels to me like it's 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 a danger that you go right i've got to write congregational songs and therefore they've all got to come out the same cookie cutter yeah And, and and this is where i think the people talking about you know their um their local context is really important but also to say you know there could be um, you know, an African song that is so catchy and so accessible, you know, or yeah. there could be something like, you know, 
Ode to Joy, which is yeah. so accessible. Or there could be something that is very similar to, you know, so we've heard on, on the uh, on the radio, the pop song or, yeah. you know, I, I, I really don't want us to go down the line of saying, well, a congregational song has to be this one style mm. um, because I think, you know, there's there's so many different ways to approach it. Yeah. Cool. Uh, and the other one I would say, and this is maybe I'm just going to contradict what I've just said. Good. Is, you should do it. Uh, just be aware of syncopations and particularly syncopations at the beginning of a line. Okay. So I was, I was listening to one of my students' songs on the songwriting course we're doing at LST um, with Geraldine. And he had this, it's funny, his his kind of guitar riff at the beginning of the song went something like, da, 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 do, do, do. And it was like really on the beat at the good beginning. Tune. Yeah, da, yeah. Da, you know, something like that. It wasn't good. Exactly. And I thought that was really good. And then his the initial verse melody went three four one two da 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 you know it was it was completely yeah. off the beat it wasn't yeah. even on two it was like two and a half uh, and I just said look at the difference between your guitar riff and your verse melody I can sing your guitar riff much easier than I can sing your verse melody yeah um, and so that's that's maybe something and, and something about you know, putting the straight notes at the beginning of the melody and the the the, the syncopated bits, the offbeat bits yep. later on, yeah, uh, and doing it in a way that's you've mentioned a lot of times before in 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 in, in keeping with the speech rhythm, yeah. So make it syncopated because that's how you would say and it. And then it feels natural, and then it it's easy for the congregation to grab hold of and and sing. yeah. And uh, you, this is where we find ourselves. Moving into the line between what makes it, what's a good song and what's a congregational song. Mm. So a congregational song, I mean, probably there are certain things you could do which are bad songwriting, which mean that a song will just never really be congregational because no one can really pick it up or no one yeah. can really agree with it or no one can really, you know, a bunch of stuff like that. There could be other stuff where it's not particularly well written, but you still tick the boxes of congregation, you know, a congregation mm. can learn it, they can sing it, they can agree with it, they can even engage with it. Um, but it doesn't mean you couldn't write it better. Mm. Um, and it doesn't mean you couldn't enhance that whole sense of engagement by doing it better, which is what we try to do a lot of the time with a with a song, isn't mm. it? There's mm. a um, just the last one of these. I've got, but this is Fernando. And he says, and again, it's quite a long answer, but he starts it by saying, maybe we should start by saying a congregational song is a song that doesn't suck. <laughs> And he, you know, he goes on to talk quite quite eloquently about the whole issues around congregational song. But he returns again to this point, just going, "I just keep coming back to it as a kind of maybe it just needs to be a song that doesn't suck. Maybe that's the most important thing. <laughs> it's got to be kind of good song. Because I think if it is going to be so, this thing of a song that congregates, it's got to be a song that, or, or like Paul said, a song that draws you on, makes you want to sing. Mm. It's got to be something which, it's kind of got to be something you like." Yeah, I think this. I think the, um, we, you know, we go through cycles in worship, and part of a the more, I mean, I guess we critique it, but I feel like Sam, we critique it from within to some extent. The the contemporary worship movement is the, um, because it's quite front, increasingly front driven, which is bizarre because it came out of a charismatic roots of rediscovering it being mm. body driven, um, yeah. so front driven that it's a kind of. Well, if it doesn't matter, if it's not about you, if you don't like it, and and yeah, I just, I increasingly can't really see how you, how do you gather in united congregation if half the people don't like the song? It just, of all the songs there are in the world, and and 
and what measure are you using for who likes it? Is it God likes it or who? What's the? <laughs> so it might as well be one which which we like. And then the other thing I thought, moving into our own thoughts, is a song. A great congregational song is one which is which is owned by the congregation, where they think this is my song, this is our song. Mm, mm. And I was thinking of um, somebody mentioned this in in one of the posts I was reading. You know, you, you st- play the first line of a Beatles song in a group in a in a room full of thirty people, and then listen to them sing a lot. They just keep going, they keep singing mm. it. Um, in fact, we did this at the gig on Saturday. Paul did this at one point. He just started playing the beginning of Blackbird. And suddenly uh, the whole room was singing. And I was thinking, yeah. you know, you never play a Lennon McCartney song before yours. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> but there was a kind of, hey, this is our, and, and it's that thing of heart music, isn't it? And, and so this yeah. is our, this is the heart music of our culture. And that's what Lennon McCartney is for a lot of Western, you know, pop music. Mm. Um, th- this is an, this is an our song. Mm. I'm done. You got anything else to add? No, it's good. It's great. There you go. There, there you have it uh, in a very tight half an hour or so. I think we defined in a very nuggety way what is a <laughs> congregational song. Well, that's the end of our podcast for this month. Remember, we love to hear from you. So, so do get in touch with your questions, comments and suggestions, especially around the uh, matters we've been discussing. Podcast at resoundworship.org facebook slash resoundworship.org twitter at resoundworship and all that remains for me to do is to introduce our featured song which is brand new perfectly themed and perfectly timed for easter it's by my Osgood. it's from the resound what kind of collection of songs <laughs> it's called what kind of king this is jesus uh, it is rich and full and yeah i think a great one a great new song to bring out this time of year just in time for Easter so um, Sam thanks very much for joining me nice to see ya take care and uh, bye 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 what kind of king is crowned with thorns all robed in nakedness and shame so cruelly beaten mocked and scorned He bears the weight of all our blame What kind of king would stand condemned Though innocent of every crime In silence offer no defense And take the place that should be mine Choose to die Yet three days later Rise again To win for us Eternal life And heal and free us In his name And now this king Is glorified Though still adorned With wounds of grace and reigning at the Father's side Receives the angels and the praise This is Jesus, our Redeemer Paid the ransom for our sin This is Jesus, risen Savior 
rewrites the wrongs of history And satisfy all those who yearn For love to have their victory And then our king will wipe away The tears of pain from every face Oh, how we're longing for the day When we're received in his embrace This is Jesus, our Redeemer Made the ransom for our sins Give my heart, my soul, my life.